Bible reading tonight is from John chapter 11, and it's page 1077 in the Church Bible. <coughs> now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and Jesus and Martha. This Mary, his brother Lazarus, now lay sick. It was the same one who called back to him and the Lord invited him to the Godhead. Then the sisters went to send the word to Jesus, the, the one you love that's sick. When he heard that Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Now it is for the God, the God's glory, so God's glory may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So whenever he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But the rabbi who said a short while ago, Jesus tried to stone him and yet he was on the bed. Jesus answered, well, then the 12 hours of daylight. Anyone who walks in the daytime and walks out does so as he goes to God's work. It is when a person walks at night that they say that they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them how when Lazarus was fallen asleep, the time for him to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if you sleep, you'll get better. Jesus had to speak this to them, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So when he, then he told them again that Lazarus was dead, but he will say, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews, who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus wanted to be only more. 
Why do they put so much fluff on this machine? sitting exams, thinking, I haven't really asked you that question. I don't know what to say. Uh, maybe you've had to take uh, exams for professional qualifications, and you think, I hope they don't ask me that question, because I don't know what to say. I wonder, as Christians, if one of the questions we most fear being asked is, how can you believe in God when there is so much suffering? I wonder if that's one of the ones that we, we just wish and hope no one asks us. And we're in this series uh, looking at these big questions, questions that Christians can be asked, and what we might start to think about how we might answer some of those questions. Tonight is that question, is suffering. I think it, it scares us because we know just how deeply people feel this, uh, how much pain it can cause people, how much anger it can cause people. And people say that either this God you believe in, he's not powerful enough to stop the suffering, or he is powerful enough, but he doesn't care enough to stop the suffering. So how are we going to answer that? Robert Ingersoll wrote, injustice upon earth renders the justice of heaven impossible. That's worth saying right at the start, we could do six talks on this and still have things that we don't know the answer to. It's okay. To say that, that there are some questions we just have to say, look, I don't know. I don't know the why to that question. But what we are going to look at tonight is, if we are asked that question, what are some of the ways that we might talk with people about what we believe and what our hope is? And I'm going to suggest that the first thing that we can say in response to that question is this. It's a question. How do you cope? When we're asked this question, I think it's quite helpful to, to find out a bit more about what our friends and family might be thinking and ask them, look, how do you cope? And it seems to me that there are two kind of broad categories of response. One is that people just accept the suffering that they're experiencing. And the other is that they, they reject it, they try and get rid of it or fight it. And it, when we come to that first one, again, that looks different in different people. Sometimes people cope with suffering with, with resignation. Again, if you're drawing pictures, you might want to draw a little shrug of the shoulders. Uh, it's that sort of look. Suffering just is. I can't do anything about it. Uh, people are resigned to it. In fact, it comes from quite an ancient um, tradition, an ancient um, idea of, of kind of karma, 
that what we're experiencing now, maybe I somehow deserve it. And if that's the case, there's no point raging against it or fighting against it. Marty Rubin said, when people have given up on happiness, they call themselves realists, accepting. Uh, sometimes when people come to accept suffering, it can look like detachment. Yeah, if you're drawing, draw a little broken heart. They say, actually, the problem, the reason why you're experiencing so much suffering is that you care too much. It's actually quite a Buddhist idea. And that idea that actually, if you just detach yourself, you won't experience the same sort of suffering. Just, just detach yourself. Um, actually, so, sometimes, sadly, this is sometimes you, you, we see this when people experience abuse. The abuse is happening to them, and the only way they can cope is just by detaching themselves from the situation. And finally, the third sort of acceptance looks like this. It's the stiff upper lip. This used to be called the stoicism. Perhaps had a bit of a resurgence recently in popular thought. And again, this is an ancient form of thinking. It's linked to cultures where there was a shame and honour culture. And people thought there was great honour in just taking suffering on the chin and muscling through because one day there might be an eternal reward. The Roman writer Seneca wrote, fire tests gold, suffering tests brave men. Again, that's a very odd and ancient idea. It's not. Uh, in the, um, the kids' TV film uh, and, and TV series, uh, How to Train Your Dragon, the, the chief Viking is called Stoic. He's called Stoic because he, he hides his emotions and he just battles through whatever difficulty he's facing. Uh, stoicism. I think in England or in Britain, this is what it looks like. Uh, keep calm and carry on, or keep calm and drink tea, or keep calm and whatever it is. It's actually an idea that's very familiar to us. I think what I say is, all those ways of coping with suffering, they make a lot of sense if you believe in some sort of afterlife. If you believe that maybe one day you'll be compensated for just dealing with it, accepting it. Of course, that's not the world view that many of our friends have, is it? Many of our friends actually don't believe in a God or anything spiritual or any kind of afterlife. And so if you don't believe in an afterlife, then actually it's very difficult just to accept suffering. In which case, many of our friends, when we ask them the question, how do you cope, they'll talk about ways in which they reject suffering. Uh, and of course, the first way, the first thing that looks like is to fight it, to fight suffering. And again, you'll know what this looks like. It means that you know, if your neighbourhood's going downhill and it's getting difficult, you, you move, uh, you, um, uh, you, sorry, it means you take out insurance. You want to fight suffering by taking out insurance because if anything happens, that will compensate you. Or, or you diet and exercise because you want to fight ill health. Or uh, you, you get educated and work hard because you want to fight poverty. You see, you have to fight suffering if you don't believe in anything spiritual. Because it means that all the value about your life, all the meaning you have in your life, exists in the here and now. It's about uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And if anything comes along to threaten those things, it must be fought. It must be fought or escaped. And suffering is the biggest challenge to all those things. Old age, poverty, sickness injustice, ultimately death, bereavement. So you can fight it or you can run. Try and escape. That's where moving house comes in. 
Uh, if your neighbourhood goes downhill, get out, run away. If, you, if you're getting bullied in school, it's time to, to move school. And people try and run away from suffering in all kinds of ways by immersing themselves in, in leisure, in pleasure, in uh, pornography, in drinking, in, in comfort shopping, comfort eating. All as a way of trying to cope with suffering. And we're saying, look, it's a good idea to, uh, to ask questions. And if we're asking questions, we better make sure that we're listening. Uh, if we're talking to our friends and family about their issues, then we're asking their questions. It's good to take a moment and listen. So I just, well, let's take a few seconds now. Maybe think of your friends and think if you can recognise any of these patterns of coping in your friends. Just take a few seconds as we just sort of imagine listening to them. We've asked maybe how do you cope, we see you can accept it or reject it, and what those things look like. But I'm going to say that there's a second question that we can ask our friends as a way of engaging with them uh, and, and hearing their story and, and how they deal with suffering. And the other one is this, how do you feel? How do you cope and how do you feel? It strikes me that most of our friends, if they're suffering, they'll feel sad, won't they? They'll feel low. But they won't just feel sad. I think most people, when they experience suffering, also feel anger or something in that sort of area. There's a sense, isn't there, that things should not be like this. It's not just sad, it shouldn't happen. And so you get that sense that people say, why do bad things happen to good people? Because there's a sense that it shouldn't. Or when someone gets hurt, you say, well, they didn't deserve it. They never hurt anyone. When someone dies young, we say, look, they were taken too young. And in a sense, um, Graham introduced us to this line, didn't he, last week, if you were here in the morning. And there's, there's a sense in which the world is broken. And there's a brokenness to what we experience, and it shouldn't be like that. I think most of our friends probably feel that. And so people mourn and they grieve. And it's interesting, isn't it? That feeling, if our friends express that, isn't really consistent if their coping mechanism is just to accept things. Because if something isn't the way it should be, it doesn't make sense just to accept it. Actually, we would want to fight it, change it. We do care. We are attached, not detached from people. And the other thing is, if people do feel a sense of anger, then that's not a feeling that's really very consistent with not believing in a God at all, in not believing in anything spiritual. You see, if, if you believe, and this might be your view here tonight, if you believe that all there is, is this world, and what you see and feel around you, then everything is just natural. And that means nothing is unnatural. There isn't any sort of injustice there's no sense of should or should not. Actually, 
this is kind of what the world is like for us experiencing it. We've got a member here, some of you will know him, Bob, Bob Nicholson. Uh, he used to be involved in banger car racing back in the day. And if this world is all there is, that's what life must be like. We're in the middle of a banger car race, there's dents and there's crashes and there's accidents. Some people are injured, some people aren't, but it all just feels like chaos. But there's no sense of should in that worldview. So where did that feeling come from? So, if we get asked those questions, it's good, good to ask some questions in return. How do you cope? How do you feel? But then it's our turn, isn't it? If that's their story about suffering, what's our story? What's our hope? We've asked, how do you cope? So we can ask ourselves, can't we? How do we cope? Now, how do we cope? And that's where our passage from this evening really comes into play. And it seems to me that if uh, what we see in this passage is true, we can say this. One of the ways we cope is that knowing that suffering is limited. Suffering is limited. Look with me at John 11 and verse 24 there. Mary answered, I know he, my brother, will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. You see, she knew that one day this terrible uh, bereavement, this terrible uh, chasm in her life would be reversed. It's what allows the psalmist to write, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart, and wait for the Lord. Suffering is limited. We can look forward to an afterlife full of love and personality. That means that love is a far better, uh, love and hope is a far better answer to suffering than detachment or resignation or any of those things. Secondly, we can say from this passage that suffering is shared. How do we cope as Christians? We can cope because our suffering is shared with others. Jesus himself here, doesn't he? He goes to be with Mary and Martha. Uh, and Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Many of you here who have gone through difficult things, tough things, I've been able to say, and I know this, that one of the things that helped you cope with suffering was other Christians drawing alongside you and experienced it with you, or ahead of you. Uh, we are God's gift to each other to help us cope with the suffering we go through. But it's not just each other. God himself is with us here and now. In Deuteronomy 31 verse 6 the writer says this, do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. As we cope with suffering because we share it with, with God who is with us. He's present with us by his spirit. We're not alone. We can rest in him. It, the, the summer series in Psalms in the, that we did here in the evening, that was an exercise in taking refuge in God. And we can cope because we know that suffering isn't pointless. Uh, we know that suffering isn't pointless. That there is a plan somewhere that someone is doing something good. We know more than that, can't we? We know that God has a higher purpose. This is fascinating, in our, I think, in our story uh, from John's Gospel tonight. In verse 4, we hear about Lazarus. And in verse 4, Jesus said this. This illness will not end in death. 
lives for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. In verse 14 and 15, a bit further down, he says this, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. And then right towards the end, just before Lazarus is raised, Jesus again speaks and he says this, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. In this most tragic of events, God is at work. God is working a higher purpose. He's working to glorify his own son so that other people would see his glory and come to believe in who Jesus is. But what's really striking is, isn't it, in verse 4, who knows that? Jesus does, but the disciples don't. Mary and Martha don't. They don't know what God is doing in that, that suffering at that time. It doesn't mean he's not at work. It doesn't mean that something good is going to come out of it. It allows us to say with Paul, for we know this, in all things God works for the good of those who love him. That's one of the ways we cope by knowing that God is at work and he's at work for our good. Now just before we move on, it's worth saying we can only say that if God's glory and us seeing him and enjoying him is our highest goal too. That's what Jesus says here. He's doing it for his glory so that others may believe in him. The Westminster Catechism, uh, which is a little summary of Christian belief, says this. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. If you're a Christian here tonight, and that is your chief goal, is to glorify God and enjoy him and know him for yourself, if that's your highest goal, then you can be confident that God is always willing to do that for you, whatever your circumstances. It's one of the ways we cope. How do you cope? We also asked, didn't we, how do you feel? And so if we've asked them, we can also say, how do we feel? And at that point, I think we can have a real point of connection, can't we, with our friends who are feeling angry. Because we can say, yes, yes, you feel sad, we feel sad. You feel angry, we feel angry too. We don't think this suffering should be there. We agree with you, this world is broken. It is crooked in a way that it shouldn't be. But let me tell you this, I think we know why it is broken. We know why it should be like this. Because you see in Jesus, and again, Graham helped us with this, with, the, with uh, his diagram. We have Jesus, who is that straight line. Jesus in this passage, look with me in verses in 35. Um, Jesus wept. Jesus is moved. But before that, in verse 33, he says this. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. You see it again in verse 38. Once more deeply moved, Jesus came to the tomb. See, Jesus here, this is Jesus, God's son, the creator of the world, in the world, deeply moved. Deeply moved means not just um, kind of wobbly and upset, it means angry. Jesus is angry. <coughs> He's angry that in this good creation that he made, something is broken, that something is wrong. He never meant it to be like that. So we can say that's why there is this darkness that we feel shouldn't be there. Because Jesus made it to be good. It legitimizes our feelings. 
And it means that Christians actually can lament. We can cry out to God. He says, yeah, I know. It isn't the way it should be. It was made to be so much better. Uh, there's just a, a few ways we can engage. There's a book that's been really uh, helpful on this book written by uh, Tim Cowell. I'm just going to ask Adrian uh, to come and join me. There he is. Uh, and um, Adrian's going to come and share for a couple of minutes uh, why he found this book helpful on this subject. Then I'll come up and uh, close now. Hi there. So uh, this is a book by Timothy Keller, and I've read it recently. Um, it's called Walking with God Through... Uh, pain and suffering. Now, it's not like a five-minute book. It really is one of those dig deeper. So if you really want to go on from this talk and this sort of this subject of suffering, you think, oh, I want to dig deeper, this is like a really good book. And I think there's three ways I want to quickly highlight why I think it's uh, it's good and how it's helped me. Firstly, it was like John was saying about some of these big questions. So it tackles initially in the first part um, things like, um, um, you know, why is it that good people suffer? And how can be a, a loving God and allow suffering? So um, I was sitting in a garden with a friend of mine, great guy, he's got a great job, lovely family. We're there having a barbecue, and he's just heard news that you know his wife's got cancer, and now his life's falling apart. And he says to me, "Why is it happening to us?" And I, I mean, I, in response to that, as a Christian, I'm like, I so wanted to help him. I was able to pray with him; it's really good. I said, "What do you say?" And this book sort of has been really helpful. Though it looks at other things like you know. Um, different religions, Western culture is so bad, as John's highlighting, dealing with suffering. We don't have the answers in Western culture. That's the first thing that's really helpful. And that's uh, the first section of the book. The second section, it gives really good teaching from the Bible and gets into the fact that as Christians we have a different story. So it really goes into that in deeper levels. So it's sort of the reason for suffering. And it says, instead of myself, who I might have as my, my end goal is just to have happiness do whatever I want, but no, as a Christian, um, as John was saying, it's about giving God the glory, and that's through the good times and the suffering. So there's a really good section in that, all about that, and really, I think that's just a really encouraging for me to keep going. Now, the last section is really practical, uh, practical tips. So it really gets into the uh, the walking bit. So you're going through it, or it might be a friend, because we all know people. We come across, we've been through it. We might go through it in the future. Um, how do you walk through it when you're going through suffering? So it's things like, you know, the praying, the loving God, thanking God. Um, and it's got some really examples from great um, Bible stories like Job, um, how he, what happened to Job, um, Joseph. And it picks out some of these things. And I found that really helpful. I think the last thing was um, how we react. It's not just one sticky plaster that, um, that can sort of help each other. It's different ways that people react. I've got a friend that um, he'd sort of suffered in the past and he's just isolated himself. Um, and that's how he's reacted to suffering. I think, well, how can I get alongside him and help him? So I would thoroughly recommend this book. It's not, you know, it took me a few months. I dipped in. And now I have it there and I think, oh, I could look at this. Um, and it's just really helped me. So it's called Walking with God. Thanks, so it's such a helpful resource as we think about how we might talk to friends and how we might help ourselves as well. Just a little story before we pick up. Uh, I was talking to someone, a couple come in through the door just tonight. Uh, I don't think they knew we were doing this tonight. Uh, they've been battling things for uh, three, four years. Um, chronic, just, yeah, really tough stuff. And uh, they said to me on the way in, 
they said, look, we, are, we can be thankful in our days because we have found God. We have turned to him in a way that we didn't before because we didn't know we needed him like we do now. And God used it to draw them closer to him, uh, to, to, to magnify himself to them, uh, to change their feelings on him. And it's a beautiful story. Um, we've asked, uh, how do we, uh, how do you cope? How do you feel? I think the final thing that we can say that makes all the difference is that Jesus suffered. Uh, Jesus himself suffered. We believe in a God who knows what suffering is like. In uh, Isaiah chapter 53, uh, this is what it's like. This is written hundreds of years before Jesus arrived, talking about Jesus. Uh, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. That's Jesus. He's a man of sorrows. In our passage, verse 35, Jesus weeps. He knows what it's like. And Jesus doesn't just suffer with us. He suffered for us. Isaiah 53 goes on. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, all like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's Jesus. Jesus goes from this story through the rest of John's Gospel. He ends up in the Garden of Gethsemane, facing the cross. What does he say in the Garden? I'm, he's moved to the point of death. Because he knows that on the cross, he will receive from God the Father everything that we deserve, turning our back on God. That's the suffering that Jesus knows. That's the suffering Jesus takes so that we might escape it, so that we might be restored to him. In our story tonight, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus suffering on the cross is what makes that statement true. So as Christians, we trust a God who has suffered like us and has suffered for us. He's a God who, who walks with us in our suffering now, and he works through our suffering now. And now, because of his works, we will one day walk in the new heavens and the new earth. Albert Camus was a classic skeptic. He said this, but who would dare to assert that eternal happiness can compensate for a single moment's human suffering? On my reply, C.S. Lewis said, You cannot understand in your present state eternity. This is what mortals misunderstand. They say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. As Christians, when we're talking with our friends about this, we look to Jesus, don't we? we have, they have their story, we have our story. 
And we can sometimes say, don't we? I don't know why. I don't know why this pain. I don't know why. I don't know why me. I don't know why you. But in this suffering, we lean on him. And we trust that one day it will be at work for our best. And that one day, a better day will come. So when we get that question that maybe we dread most of all, how can you believe in God? 